Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. draft day Browns fans were waiting for. Sonny, I hope you're listening. You run this team. You're the general manager. You can fix Hey, Tom. Hey, Sonny. Sonny. Every year, someone comes out of this looking like a donkey. Can you hear me? Yeah. Good, because tomorrow I got a feeling it could be you if you don't make this deal. Let's talk about the draft. I need you to make a splash, Sonny. If you can't do it, then I have to do it. Just to be clear here, you're threatening to fire me, Ryan. Your job is to coach a team I give you. They do it different in Dallas? Yeah, they do. They win. A lot. How is it that the ultimate prize in the most macho sport ever invented is a piece of jewelry? We talk football? We can always talk football. I just want the team that I want, one time. You see things other people don't see. Rewind that back to the start of the play. That's one of the things I love about you. All that matters is what you think. Write your own story, Sonny. I want this team's future back. Let's get busy. Draft day. History in the making. 224 young men are about to become players in the National Football League. Bo Callahan, he's the surefire slam dunk number one pick. Trade me. I'm going to do what's best for the team. This is the draft analysis we've all been working on for the last two months. Just made a trade with the Seahawks. Sonny, that's our future. You sold a cow for magic beans. How does the entire world already know about this, Mom? Because I just tweeted it. You're on Twitter? You're not. I love having the number one pick. <laughs> I hope that you would. The Cleveland Browns are now on the clock. It's go time, boss. You're going rogue. Who are you going to take? What's happening? Who are you picking? You son of a... I need five minutes, and then you can fire me. I got Tom Michaels on the line. Sonny, are we trading six? I quit, Sonny. Don't quit. See what I do from here. You're gonna like this. The football world is in shock, wondering what exactly the Cleveland Browns' Sonny Weaver Jr. is cooking up here. You're not gonna believe what's happening. You make this deal right now, say it with me. An absolute stutter. Okay, screw it. No more offer. Oh, 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 oh. You're out of your mind. Yeah, I am. Haven't I proved that already? Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Draft Day from 2014. The studio was Lionsgate. The release date was April 11, 2014. The running time, 110 minutes, and it was rated PG-13. The budget was $25 million, and the box office only took in $28.8 million. That was domestic. Making it the 95th ranked movie of 2014, it made less than a million internationally. More on that later. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 60% fresh from 163 reviews. They write, it's perfectly pleasant for sports buffs and Kevin Costner fans, but overall, Draft Day lives down to its title by relying too heavily on the sort of by-the-number storytelling that only a statistician could love. Now look, I'm a sucker for Kevin Costner sports movies. I believe the intent of Draft Day was to be the football version of Moneyball. And while Draft Day isn't nearly as good as Moneyball... It's worth watching if you're a fan of the NFL, especially the NFL draft. Now, I've always been fascinated with the behind-the-scenes workings of a sports team, especially a general manager. And while I'm sure there are some liberties taken in the film, you know, draft day seems fairly realistic about the whole drafting and trading process. All right, let's get into the main cast. So Kevin Costner plays Sonny Weaver Jr. Now, I've done two Costner sports movies already, arguably the best with Bull Durham and the most underrated with For Love of the Game. From For Love of the Game in 1997 until Draft Day, I would say Costner's most notable films include Mr. Brooks, Man of Steel, and Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit. But you've got to hand it to Kevin Costner. He continues to be incredibly relevant today, especially with the hit television show Yellowstone. Jennifer Garner plays Allie. Now, I believe this is the first movie I've covered with Garner in it. Her career began in the mid-1990s with appearances on TV shows, but her big break came when she starred in the TV series Alias, which ran for five seasons. She landed a co-starring role in the comic book movie Daredevil with Ben Affleck, which actually did pretty well at the box office, but was not considered a great film. Her first starring role was the very enjoyable 13 Going on 30 in 2004. 
Other notable films for Garner prior to draft day included Electra, The Kingdom, Juno, The Odd Life of Timothy Green, and Dallas Buyers Club. Draft day includes some other terrific actors like Dennis Leary, Chadwick Boseman, Frank Langella, Ellen Burstyn, Sam Elliott, and Terry Crews. The director, Ivan Reitman. Sadly, this would be Reitman's final film that he directed before dying at the age of 75 in February of 2022. If you're a fan of comedy films from the 1980s, you absolutely owe a debt of gratitude to Reitman because he directed some of the best of the era. He had Meatballs, Stripes, Ghostbusters, Legal Eagles, and Twins. And that's just the 80s. He later directed Kindergarten Cop, Dave, and My Super Ex-Girlfriend. He was also a top producer. Listen to this list of films he produced. Animal House, Heavy Metal, Beethoven, Space Jam, Private Parts, Road Trip, Old School, Euro Trip, and Up in the Air. He will be dearly missed in an industry that is now sorely lacking a vision to make comedies. All right, let's get into the making of the film. So Draft Day is one of those unique films that takes place in one day. Check out episode 117 for our favorite movies in this particular genre. Now, the inspiration from this film came from co-screenwriter Rajiv Joseph, who was talking to one of his friends who was not a football fan, but she enjoyed the NFL draft. And this fascinated him because that isn't a normal type of fan. Many NFL fans don't even bother to watch the draft. Now, his friend said it was because this particular day had high stakes, interesting characters, and a ticking clock. And then when you put it like that, well, that's the foundation of making a drama. Even though Joseph and Scott Rothman were big football fans, they admittedly knew very little about how a general manager runs a team. The writers met with Mike Tannenbaum, who at the time was the GM of the New York Jets, and during a two-hour phone call asked him every question possible about running a team and the draft. Now, the NFL team from the original script was going to be the Buffalo Bills, but that didn't work out due to high production costs. Shooting in Ohio was much cheaper, and the Cleveland Browns turned out to be a perfect fit. In Hollywood, there's an unofficial site called The Blacklist, which ranks the Movie Insider's favorite unproduced scripts of the year. Draft Day was at the top of the list for 2012. This was a huge coup for the writers and brought great attention to movie producers. One of the tricky parts about making sports films is for the most part, the bulk of the money will be made domestically in the U.S. and not overseas. That is not a big selling point for movie studios who want the widest net possible to sell a film. And American football, for the most part, is really only popular in the United States. And again, this held true with the final box office totals for draft day, as I mentioned earlier. Getting director Ivan Reitman was a nice surprise for the producers, as this wasn't the type of film he normally directed. Again, he was best known for his comedies like Stripes and Ghostbusters, but he loved the script and wanted to direct something different than his traditional comedies. However, just because Reitman agreed to direct didn't mean the film was immediately a go. The key to this film was getting the NFL to be fully on board. Without the NFL backing, this film simply can't work. You can't make a film without official team names and just use the city. People will immediately dismiss the film. When the NFL gave their full permission, licensing, and endorsements, that really meant the film was greenlit. Getting full league support was not an everyday thing, so this was a big deal. The NFL was most concerned with the accuracy of the film, but the league loved the script, and ultimately, it was another marketing tool for the league, because the movie is a celebration of the draft. In Reitman's mind, after reading the script, he wanted Kevin Costner in the lead role. Costner wasn't thrilled to get the call from Reitman, knowing that Reitman wasn't the type of director that called a number of actors for a part. He called exactly who he wanted. To play the female lead, everyone felt that Jennifer Garner was a strong enough lead actress that could match the presence of Kevin Costner. And that same sort of presence was felt when Dennis Leary was cast as the head coach. For Chadwick Boseman, Reitman loved his work in the movie 42, where he played Jackie Robinson, and he knew he had the athletic ability and look to be cast as a linebacker. At first, Boseman was afraid of being typecast for being in sports movies, but Reitman convinced him to take the role. One of the cool parts about this film was getting actual real footage from the NFL draft, which was from Radio City Music Hall. So because the film was coordinated with the NFL, the shots were planned so that real, the real audience and the theater setup would look authentic, since it truly was the same night as the real draft. Plus, most of the shots came from the actual NFL film crew. So it's another reason the film looks so much like when you watch the NFL draft on television. Now keep in mind, the actual NFL draft is three days long, so the movie shooting took place on the third day of the draft because there's less stress and commotion compared to the first two days. It's almost like a documentary film shooting. 
In addition, the actors and crew had full access to the Cleveland Browns training facility, which means they could talk to the real-life staff and implement this knowledge into their characters. One of the really awesome things that Ivan Reitman and his crew did was make the plethora of phone calls that take place in the film seem really interesting and engaging. This was really an old-school talking type of film, but each phone call adds more tension to the film, and the way each of these calls are filmed, well, they're really well done. The split screens were done in an entirely new way and is what made the film progress well and kept the audience's attention. When you go back and watch the film, you'll notice that during these split screen scenes, the actors in the scenes won't be stuck in their traditional box, but they float into another screen. It's actually really cool if you go back and watch. Okay, let's get into the film. So it opens on the day of the NFL draft, which will begin in a little under 13 hours in New York City. We hear the familiar voice of Chris Berman, the legendary ESPN broadcaster, as we see the preparation of the theater that will hold the draft. We then go to the city of Seattle and the headquarters of the Seahawks. The Seahawks general manager, Tom Michaels, which is played by Patrick St. Esprit, is discussing a scenario with the team president, Walt Gordon, played by Chi McBride. The scenario is to trade the number one overall pick of the draft and determine what sort of return they can get by dealing that coveted pick. Immediately we see what the executives of a sports team must consider and why the fans that call into sports talk shows, along with the hosts, have zero idea what it takes to run a team. In any case, the odds-on favorite for the number one pick is a quarterback from Wisconsin named Bo Callahan, who was the Heisman Trophy Award winner for college the season before. The Seahawks executives won't trade the pick unless they feel they can get the return way more lucrative than only one potential team-changing type of player. The Seahawks decide to approach the Cleveland Browns and their general manager, Sonny Weaver Jr., played by Kevin Costner. And they have a proposal of trading the number one pick of the draft. Since in the Seahawks' mind, the Browns are the most desperate to acquire a highly touted quarterback. After years of losing, the Browns have the seventh overall pick. However, while Sonny's focus should be on the draft, he just found out from his girlfriend, Allie, played by Jennifer Gardner, well, she's pregnant. Allie is also the Browns' financial manager who handles the team's salary cap. In addition, Sonny's father, who was a well-regarded coach, well, he died a week prior. Suffice to say, Sonny has more than his share of stress going on. After Allie leaves Sonny's house without answers, Sonny gets a call from Tom Michaels, the general manager of the Seahawks. Hey, Tom. You're up early. Well, it's draft day. How you doing? Uh, well, I'm great. I'm having a great day. How about you? Well, I'm sitting here eating my pancakes. Thinking about moving number one. Really? Yeah, as you know, Connor did a great job for us last year. But Callahan looks like, well, hell, Sonny, he's going to be a franchise player for some. You'd consider a trade? I'd consider the right one. Well, Jesus, Tom, at least act like you called me, all right? What do you, what do you want for it? I want your first pick this year, your first rounder next year, and your third rounder the year after that. Ouch. Ouch, no thanks. I know it sounds, it sounds like you're trying to take advantage of me. I would never do that. Your seventh pick gives you what? A running back with a rap sheet? You don't know who I'm picking seven, Tom. I'm not going to sell the farm for one guy. Well, you should. Your farm sucks. Pick number one. Get Bo Cowley. I got a quarterback. Brian Drew? Are you talking about Brian Drew? Jesus, you're hilarious. I barely made it through half the season before getting injured last year. I have the golden ticket, Sonny. If I give it to you, you can get to save football in Cleveland. And thus begins the start of wheeling and dealing that will occur for the three days of the draft. But none more stressful than the early picks. Now, I understand that casual sports fans might not be as engaged with the behind-the-scenes business of sports over actually watching gameplay. But for me, I think it's absolutely fascinating. The same way Moneyball was, both the book and the film. Even though draft day is a work of fiction, the recent futile history of the Cleveland Browns is definitely not fiction. In 2014, when this film was released, the Browns hadn't had a real winning team since the mid-1980s when Bernie Kosar was the starting quarterback. And they lost two heartbreaking championship games back-to-back -to, -back to the Denver Broncos and then for the third time to the Broncos two years later. However, back in the 1940s and the 50s, well, the Browns were one of the greatest franchises in all of football. In the 40s, they had quarterback Otto Graham, and later they had the greatest running back of all time, even to this day, and that's Jim Brown. 
They won four championships in the All-American Football Conference and then four more championships before the 1970 merger with the AFL. Now, look, we also can't forget that the current incarnation of the Browns is actually an expansion team. The original franchise, which was owned by Art Modell, well, they moved from Cleveland in 1996, and they became the Baltimore Ravens. And to add insult to injury, the Ravens have won two Super Bowls since moving to Baltimore. And the current version of the Browns restarted in 1999 as the expansion team. Now, I must admit, before rewatching the film, I totally forgot that Chadwick Boseman was a key part of Draft Day. Because when I think of his films, I immediately think of 42, Black Panther, and Get On Up. Boseman plays linebacker Vontae Mack, who is hoping to get drafted by the Browns at pick 7. He believes that the Browns pass on him at 7, he would potentially fall into the 20s. And that means his initial contract will be far lower than at pick 7. Bozeman, as usual, is terrific in his role as Vontae. In addition to receiving a call from Vontae, Sonny also gets a call from another prospect, a running back named Ray Jennings, who was actually played by real-life NFL player Arian Foster, who played for the Houston Texans. And his father is played by Terry Crews. Now, Ray had some off-the-field issues, which is causing concern from teams about his character and could potentially hurt his draft status for being a high pick. You know, many of the so-called experts believe that Ray is the pick that Cleveland is going to take. Ray also wants to play for Cleveland because that's where his dad played. Now, Sonny has a knack of never showing his hand, meaning he never lets on what he's going to go with his pick or even trading his pick. Now, part of this might be because he himself doesn't know what he's going to do yet, but that's just conjecture on my part. Sonny has a casual meeting with the team owner of the Browns, Anthony Molina, played by Frank Langella. The owner wants a big draw name for the fans, meaning an offensive skill player like a quarterback or a running back. However, Sonny wants Vontae because he could immediately impact their defense in a positive way, and Sonny believes he already has a good quarterback in Brian Drew, who was playing well last season before he got hurt. Sonny decides to call the Seahawks and agree to their initial trade offer for the first pick. However, Tim has decided to adjust the deal in an attempt to fleece Sonny, believing that the Browns are now desperate for the first pick. I really thought I could get Sonny Weaver to bite. I mean, he just lost his old man. And Sonny, how can I help you? Okay, I'm ready to do this, Tom. Our next two number one picks, the third rounder, your pick today. Correction. Your next three first round picks. What? You heard me. You want me to give you the Cleveland Browns first round picks for the next three years? That's right. Well, that's insane, Tom. That that wasn't your offer. Well, I changed my offer. And we lived in a different world than we did a couple hours ago. I made you a fair offer, and you told me to enjoy my pancakes. You think I'm going to give you my next three number one picks? You're panicking, Sonny, and I intend to take advantage of that. I'm, I'm, I'm not panicking. Your next three first-round picks, yes or no? You're still there, Sonny. So, what is Sonny going to do? Next, we go to the Browns' war room, for which, if you didn't know, for non-fans, it's like a conference room. And we meet the new head coach, Vince Penn, played by Dennis Leary, who is now taking over coaching duties after Sonny's father passed away. Sonny is not a fan of Vince or his coaching style. It was the owner that hired Vince. Morning, Sonny. Morning, Sonny. Morning, Sonny. Hey, Sonny. Guys. Just telling Jelly Donut and the guys here my favorite Ray Jennings story, because they're telling me we have not yet decided. I mean, we're not seriously considering anybody else, right? Uh, what are you doing, Sonny? Just made a trade with the Seahawks. Four? The number one pick. Oh! You got us both Callahan! Certainly appears that way. Al, are you here? Yes. Just gonna screw us up with the salary cap. Moving from seven to one. It's about another million and a half we weren't anticipating for this year, maybe an extra five and a half million in signing bonus. We have that? We can make it work. Let me get into it. 
Pretty good news? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Number one pick? I thought we uh, had a QB. Tell me, what did we give up? A number one pick this year. And? First round pick next year. Okay, well that's a lot, but you get a chance to play her like Callahan. And the year after that. You gave up three consecutive first rounders. Sonny, that's our future. No. Bull Callahan's our future. 30 million, Sonny. Excuse me? 30 million. That's what you're paying me to coach this team for the next six years. Did it cross your mind? Did you think it might be maybe important to discuss this decision with me first? No. It's my call. As you can infer from Coach Penn's reaction, I just put all our asses on the line. For a kid, I think we all agree is pretty good. Until about 10 minutes ago, I don't think any of us thought this was possible, and I seriously doubt that we have looked at him the way we might have. That's my fault. All right, guys, that's on me. Now that's changed. So if we go ahead with this, if we pick him and find out tomorrow that he has got knee problems, he's got bedwetting problems, or he's got goddamn OCD, we're all going to be fired. What's beeping? The call is from the team owner who is thrilled with getting the number one pick, which means Bo Callahan. But Vince isn't thrilled, as he knows they won't have a first-round pick for two years, and his favorite player, Ray Jennings, is no longer going to be coming to Cleveland. One of the funny side characters is the nervous new intern, Rick, who is thrown into the fire on the most stressful day of the year. However, it's a good way to figure out if you're meant for this business, right? Anyway, word travels fast, and Sonny gets a call from Bo Callahan's agent, who is played by rapper Sean Puff Daddy P. Diddy whatever Combs. Crawford, how is my favorite badger? Did I mention that Bo loves playing in the cold weather? Because Bo loves playing in the cold weather. I'd love to talk with him, Chris. He's right here. Hold on. How are you, Mr. Weaver? I'm doing fine. How are you, son? Excited? Well, of course I am. It's an exciting day. I can't lie. Good, good. We'll try and enjoy this part of it if we can. You only get drafted once. Well, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate that. How important is winning to you? Excuse me? Well, I've seen all the tape on you. Talk to everyone that matters, but that's the thing I still don't know. Look, I don't know what else to tell you. Winning is the only thing that matters to me. Oh, and by the way, I'd like to offer my condolences for your father. Thanks for saying that. Thank Chris for me. Talk to you later, pal. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Weaver. I look forward to meeting you, sir. An interesting question from Sonny, and it's obvious he didn't get exactly the answer he wanted. While winning is the ultimate goal of every sports team, it's not quote-unquote everything. And the fact that he caught Bo off guard and he didn't have a more cerebral thought in the heat of the moment, that gave Sonny pause. Sort of like being in the middle of a game and not being able to adjust under the pressure, or even calling an audible. After his call with Bo, Sonny gets a call from his mom, Barb, played by Ellen Burstyn. Great. Hi, Mom. You sold a cow for magic beans. What? You could have stole Ray Jennings at seven. How does the entire world already know about this, Mom? Because Monty Mac just tweeted it. He tweeted it? Agent just called. Brown's trade for number one. Sorry, Cleve. You get Bo. No Vante. Dumb move. You're on Twitter? You're not. I'm sorry, Sonny. Is this a bad time? I gotta go, Mom. This is the draft analysis we've all been working on for the last two fire! months. I'm coming. <laughs> Can I get you gentlemen some coffee? Love some. Light and sweet, honey, thanks. Yeah, I'm not getting you idiots anything. I like her. Little Miss Salary Cap. She's a sweetheart. Yeah, she's the best. Why am I here, Sonny? 
Because Melina thinks you coached the Cowboys. I did coach the Cowboys. And I think you were a bad babysitter. You know, my wife loved living in Dallas, Sonny. It's a rich town full of fancy people, and she likes that kind of thing. So she wasn't exactly thrilled when I said, hey, baby, pack your bags. We're moving to Cleveland. Well, there's fancy people here, too. No. There's really not, which is okay by me. But I dragged my pretty wife to this town because this city deserves a championship, and I'm the guy that can deliver it. Well, then we're on the same page, Vance. Oh, yeah? Then keep me in the loop. There is... No loop, all right? There's me doing my job, you doing yours. Your job is to coach the team I give you. They do it different in Dallas? Yeah, they do. They win. A lot. I had my choice of teams to coach, Sonny, and I chose this team, okay? I chose to coach this team. Not the team you're putting together in your head on the fly because your old man died last week and you're tapping one of your execs. What did you just say? I'm sorry, is that supposed to be a secret? You know, around here, we called my old man, Coach Weaver. And yes, my father died last week. So next time you refer to his name, next time you say it, at least in front of me, you say it with some goddamn reverence because he earned it. Fair enough. Well, not off to a great start for Sonny and Vince. Sonny decides to call Vontae to give him solid advice about staying off Twitter. Even back in 2014, it was a terrible idea to be part of Twitter. And man, it's just a cesspool of humanity, but I digress. In any case, Vontae has some interesting information for Sonny. That ball you want to take? That there's a mistake. Callahan. Callahan's a poser. Yeah, and what do you know that every scout and coach on earth does not? I know we got sacked 12 times last year. No, it was 11. It was 11 times. Yeah, well, four were mine in one game. Yeah, I remember. I, I, I saw your highlight reel. I also remember that he beat you. Watch it again. Don't watch me. Watch him. Watch me sack him four times in one game. Then watch what happens after. Now Sonny's starting to get worried that his franchise quarterback might not be the solid lock that experts predict. It's funny how fans react. In Seattle, news of the trade led fans to arrive at the Seahawks headquarters to voice their displeasure over trading their one pick, even though they got three in return. And then there's the current Browns quarterback, Brian Drew, who's been busting his ass rehabbing to return for the season, and now he's incensed about the trade, as you can imagine. After all that rehab, you're just going to quit? You're just going to walk away? Come on, Brian, don't listen to Coach. Don't leave. I know what's going on here. Then just compete with him. Beat him out. Did you trash my office? Trade me. Did you just trash my office? Yeah, I'm upset. Well, I don't care if you're upset. If you're upset, call your agent. All right, let him have this conversation. That's what he's there for. No, Sonny, you're going to talk to me man to man. You owe me that. I owe you? I drafted you. Your dad drafted me. No, Drew, I drafted you. I may have been in San Francisco, but my dad wasn't even looking at you until I told him to. Yeah, and when your knee crapped out and no one wanted you, I still extended your contract. I think I even gave you a raise because I believed in you. Then why pick Callahan? You know why. Then trade me. I'm going to do what's best for the team. I've been in this league for eight seasons. I've been to the playoffs. I know the system the pen wants to run, and I know I can make it work. I busted my ass this offseason. I set the bar high. I'm in great shape. I feel 10 years younger. I'm telling you, man, I swear to you, the best thing for this team this season is me. Are you finished? No. We'll get finished. And then get back to work. If I trade you, I trade you. If I don't, I don't. Do yourself a favor. Worry about Brian. Don't worry about Bo. And definitely, most absolutely, goddamn importantly, do not bother me with your shit right now, Brian. I'm working here. So, you want to be a general manager, huh? That's a lot harder than a few tweets and a phone call to a talk show, right? Next is why I really enjoy this film. The next call Sonny receives is from the Kansas City Chiefs who are interested in trading for Brian Drew. The wheeling and dealing never stops. In the meantime, the scouting team is trying to find any sort of information that could sway Sonny from drafting Bo. 
There was a note that for Bo's 21st birthday party, none of his teammates showed up to the party, which ended up with the cops being called due to a robbery, which wasn't the fault of Bo, as it turned out. Now, the incident might say that he's not the most well-liked person to play ball with. Now, look, it's not mandatory that you have to be buddy-buddy with all your teammates. That's, you know, of course not. But when none of them show up, that's kind of a red flag. However, Sonny gets the real story from Bo's coach at Wisconsin, played by Sam Elliott, who not so pleasantly informs Sonny that the players were not listed on the police report in order to not get any of the players into any bad press that they didn't cause. Now Sonny sort of feels like an idiot. The Buffalo Bills then call Sonny, offering two number one picks and two players, including a good running back, for the Browns' number one pick. Sonny says he'll consider it. As it turns out, the reason Buffalo called was because Vince was doing a little subterfuge of his own and told the GM of Buffalo that Cleveland might be interested in a deal. As you can imagine, Sonny is not pleased about having an unwanted assistant general manager. Now, the frustrating part for Sonny is that he really hasn't had a chance to put his own team together after two years. Sink or swim, he wants to run the team on his own. And then we get this great story about Joe Montana and the 1988 San Francisco 49ers who went on to win the 1989 Super Bowl. Well, they had a non-Super Bowl. 49ers, Bengals. Niners down by three, 320 left in the game. 93-yard winning drive. Taylor beats the big safety for a 10-yard TD. Yeah, but before the drive, Joe Montana's in the huddle. Right, and unbelievably, somehow spots the actor John Candy who stands, points at him, asks the guys in the huddle, hey, isn't that, that John Candy? They couldn't believe the balls on him. And that calm in that game at that moment. Because guys instantly relax. They march. Uh, 93 yards. 93 yards. Montana throws a little slant to Taylor. 49ers win the Super Bowl. Great game. It's a great game. Basically, Sonny needs to slow things down, relax, and lead his team to victory, and he decides to decline Buffalo's offer. Sonny heads to the war room to watch the game film that Vontae told him to review. Oh, man, that is sick. He absolutely bull rushed that right tackle. Bo didn't even have a chance. Yeah, I got to give it to the kid. He's got a wicked first step. See what he does on the next play. All right. Speed kills. Look at that. Yeah, look at that. He gets frantic. My favorite thing about rookie QBs, they get frantic when they think they're going to get hit. Although I got to give him credit. Barring those two plays, he was brilliant. He threw four TDs, including the last one to win it. Take us down to that. Yeah. Looking downfield, staying calm. Sonny, this guy's textbook. Man, this kid is strong. That's impressive. That's pure Roethlisberger. He's pro-ready. End of story. Take it back. Rewind that back to the start of the play. Just stop right here. What's missing? Fullback. But Wisconsin runs most of their passing plays out of an empty backfield. No, not what I'm looking at. Try again. Where's Vontae? You know what, Sonny? I think he got ejected. He got ejected from the game? Yeah. For what? Yeah, in the third quarter after he stripped the ball from Callahan and scored that TD, gave the ball to a fan. Right, right. When he got flagged for it, he went nuts, touched the ref, so they threw him out. Right. Bonehead move. Let's see that. college can't add the ball to some girl it's not some girl it's not some girl guys that's his sister she died about six months later 
who friggin' who. We ain't running an after-school special here. We're running a football team whose offense was ranked 28th in the league last year. And I still need a running back. So what Vontae wanted to prove was the only reason Bo ended up leading his team to victory was due to Vontae not even playing in the fourth quarter due to a bogus ejection. Bo was rattled the entire time when Vontae was in the game. Next, Sonny gets another report about the character of Bo, and it's a gem. Just talked to Jack Tate in Washington. He said when they found out they had the number five pick, first thing they did was send a copy of their playbook to all the guys they were interested in. Right, we do the same thing. No, no, they put a little special twist on it. They tape a $100 bill to the last page. Why? So when they're interviewing the guys and they ask them if they read the whole playbook, of course all of them are going to say yes. About half of them, they mention the money, but the other half don't. So when they tell them about the $100 bill, most of the guys get embarrassed. They get flustered. They fess up that they didn't read the whole thing. But ask me what your boy Bo Callahan did. You know, I really hate playing this game with you. Ask. All right, what did Bo Callahan do? Neither. He said that he'd read it, and then he didn't say anything. So? He didn't know about the $100 bill, Sonny. He lied. Never read the whole playbook. So a lot of guys don't. Yes, but when they confront him about it, and they tell him about the money, he lied again. He said something like, oh, oh yeah, now I remember. Good one, good one, guys. Jack said he is the only guy to tell the lie and then to have the balls to stand and stick up for the lie. Unfortunately, the last clip cut out the punchline, which was that there was one quarterback that had the $100 playbook stunt pulled on him. And that quarterback sent back the $100 and said it can be given to him when he wins the team a Super Bowl. And that player was Brian Drew, the current Browns quarterback. Character means a lot when everyone has equal talent. Now, that trick used by taping the $100 bill on the back of the playbook seemed to be inspired by an anecdote of Jamarcus Russell. His coaches in Oakland did not believe he was watching the game film and once purposely sent him home with blank DVDs to watch. He returned claiming that he watched the video and liked the game plan. Obviously, he was lying. There was a similar story in the 1980s with Randall Cunningham, but Cunningham turned out to be a fine quarterback, or Russell was one of the all-time greatest busts in draft history. Sonny then gets a call from the Houston Texans general manager asking about Vontae. The Texans have the 15th pick. Sonny plays coy and now knows he'll never be able to get him in the second round, even if he waits on him. Next, Sonny gets a visit from his mother and ex-wife Angie, played by Rosanna Arquette. His mom brought an urn with his father's ashes. As he stated, he wanted to be spread on the practice field. Sonny is less than pleased about having yet another thing on his plate. You want to spread these goddamn ashes? You do it tomorrow. No. I'm serious. No. Now then, are you going to read this prayer as your father asked you to? No, I'm not. Not today. Fine. I will do it myself. Good luck. How about some fresh air? Whoever thought it meant that much to him, aiming a simple practice field in his honor. God, he took, took pride in the weirdest things. It's your father, Sonny. What was it? Why, why did you hate him so much? I didn't hate my father. I didn't... You know what? Everyone always gives me grief for firing my father. Well, you did. I was here that day. It was my mother. What? It was my mother. Look, don't get me wrong. I'm the one who fired him, but it was my mother who asked me to do it. My dad's doctors told him that the stress of coaching was going to kill him, so of course he refused to retire. So now I have a choice. The time he has left at home with my mother, or another year on the, another year on the sidelines where maybe he drops dead on national television. So what do you do? 
I gave it to my mom, and I fired him. How come you never told me that before? You know, there's already so many versions of what happened that it's not really something I love talking about. You never told him. You just, you let him believe that his only son would just fire him. do things in my family. Sonny. You know, all I ever wanted to do was just get him a ring. Ah, oh, jeez, what was this? They want to pay their respects. Sonny needs to make peace with his mom before the draft. I'll let you find out if that actually occurs. Before the draft begins, Sonny makes a final call to Bo. And Sonny asks Bo one question. Did any of his teammates go to his 21st birthday? We know what really happened as an audience, but Bo evades the question and just says he didn't remember anything about that night. Sonny doesn't reveal his hand and says, well, he didn't reveal his 21st birthday either, and he hangs up. Okay, there's 30 minutes left, and we'll see how the draft actually plays out. You may think you know the outcome, but it's full of twists and turns that are absolutely fabulous and totally unexpected, so do yourself a favor and see the film. And while this will appeal to fans of football, draft day is totally enjoyable to even non-fans because the drama presented throughout the film, I think, is terrific. And quite simply, Kevin Costner is the best sports movie actor of all time, hands down. All right, there were a number of deleted scenes, so I'll go through those. There was one at the gas station where a fan approached Sonny while he's at the pump, and she's a lifelong Browns fan and makes it clear that he better not screw up the draft. Because if the Browns stink, it means the city suffers and the woman then threatens to burn his house down. <laughs> Next, Sonny visits his mom. His mom's next-door neighbor calls Sonny's cell phone saying there's a fire. It's actually a funny part of the scene. So Sonny arrives at his mom's house and she's burning some garbage as a controlled fire, not an out-of-control blaze. Sonny's mom is grieving the loss of her husband and she's not doing well. Sonny's ex-wife also arrives. It's basically more backstory about their relationship that didn't really move the plot forward, and I understand why it was cut out. Next, Bo Callahan's Wonderlick score. Now, if you didn't know, the Wonderlick test is given to all potential quarterbacks, especially high draft picks, which is supposed to determine the football IQ of a player. The highest score you can get is 50, and Bo got a 41. It's also a funny scene as Rich, the intern, is given a question, and he thinks it's a trick question. Next, Allie and Vince. Allie gets sick and throws up outside of the building into some bushes due to her pregnancy. She then gets locked out of the building. Coach Vince is signing some autographs for some fans gathered behind the fences, and then he sees her. The two have a discussion about Browns fans and how they don't ever give up on their team after years of heartbreak. Allie then tells a story about how she got hired after being a lifelong Browns fan. It's actually a good scene and gives more depth to the coach and Allie, but again, it didn't move the plot forward. Lastly, there's Sonny scouting Brian Drew's rehab. Sonny calls one of Brian Drew's workout and rehab partners who confirms that Brian Drew is good to go health-wise for the next season. All right, some fun facts. So interestingly enough, in the 2014 draft, the Browns actually drafted a buzzworthy player in quarterback Johnny Manziel, which did bring some excitement to fans. But as it seems all too often to the long-suffering Browns fans, Manziel was the epitome of a draft bust. He only lasted two seasons before his off-the-field issues ruined his pro career. He continues to play an independent arena football league as of 2022. The team that Sonny trades the top pick was originally supposed to be the New York Jets, not the Seahawks, but they dropped out of the movie at the last minute. The Jets actually made more sense to have the top pick at the time since their team actually was not that good, unlike the Seahawks, who have had a string of winning seasons at the time with Russell Wilson. Now, the film was initially rated R by the MPAA, but Lionsgate appealed the rating and got a PG-13 rating without cuts. All right, we have football fan and podcaster extraordinaire Sonny Pooney from the Grown Up Rock podcast and Podcast Rock City, who really enjoys this film, and he's a big football fan as well. So we talk to him, and then I will be back next week for yet another random movie from my DVD collection. We're back with Sonny Pooney from the Grown Up Rock podcast and, of course, Podcast Rock City. Welcome back, Sonny. Oh, good to be here. We're gonna be we're gonna be talking about a cool movie right now. <laughs> well, are you, so this this is perfect. So, are are you a fan? And, and actually, in a couple months, there should be the NFL draft anyway. But uh, are you a fan of the NFL draft? And do you watch it religiously every year? I used to. I have gotten out of the practice probably about last four or five years. What seems to be happening is wide receivers do okay right out of the gate, 
and then a bunch of other guys you never mm-hmm. heard of disappear, right? The days of like the first round picks are all going to be greatest hits the first year. It just doesn't happen anymore. And I don't know. I just kind of lost the taste for if they're not going to my team, what do I care? Right. Well, it used to be running backs were the yeah. high draft picks. And, and yeah. now the running game is almost gone in football. Well, not gone, but very much diminished. And that used to be the the position where you could probably make a di- an impact quickly because you just got to know the, the running schemes and everything. It was always tough for quarterbacks, usually offensive linemen and and, and uh, players like that. But you're right. It, it, it's it, I still watch it because I have to for work. But uh, yeah, it used to be really an event. And I don't know. Do you follow college football at all? I don't because the players keep changing. So I rarely follow college football. Now I've gotten a little bit into it just because my son's at Baylor law school, my Mm. youngest daughter's in San Diego state and she's in the marching band. So we've been Mm. kind of in there a little bit. Uh, the last draft we watched was probably, I'm going to guess three years ago when Najee Harris got drafted because he was from Mm. our hometown right there and we saw him play in high school. So there was a connection, but besides that, and even Najee, like, I, I think he's averaging like three uh, three yards a rush for the last right. three years. <laughs> that's true, <laughs> and that's the thing. There's no guarantee, and that we'll get into that with the with the movie. Um, you know, those guys that seem like can't miss, and then they definitely miss. So we've already talked about it on the necessary roughness episode. But your favorite team is the Dallas Cowboys. Now, from your memory as a Cowboys fan, what were your favorite number one picks from them? And some of your least favorite were the absolute busts where you're like, oh, man, what a dog shit pick. See, I don't remember. I don't remember the number one picks, to be honest, because I think a lot of the times they go defense or offensive linemen. And I'm like, who? Like, they don't ever draft the Heisman Trophy winner. Except for that one. Well, the the most obvious one, of course, would have been Trey Aikman in in your era. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't have. I most likely wouldn't have watched that. That's a little bit. Uh. The draft piece of that is a little bit before my time. Like, I sure. don't even really know who Troy Wackerman is until he shows up and started throwing passes kind of thing. Now, I, I have this up. I quickly looked this up. But uh, from 88 to 90, they had – I mean, basically, it made the team of the 90s. In 88, they drafted Michael Irvin as their first okay. pick. Okay. Uh, they didn't have the number one pick. They had the 11th pick. And then the next year, they got Aikman with the number one pick. And then the next year, in the 17th pick, they got arguably one of the greatest running backs – all time in Emmett Smith. I mean, that yeah. <laughs> that solidified them for many years to come. Plus, the reason they had such great draft picks was because they traded Herschel Walker to the Vikings and got tons of their picks. Yeah, and it doesn't surprise me that I didn't know when those guys got drafted because now you're talking about ages 19, 20, mm-hmm. 21. Mm-hmm. I am either on Broadway at the Stone or okay. a Telegraph at the <laughs> Omni or I'm somewhere in Santa Clara at a club. Okay, so when do you you really start following football i watched it when i was a kid um but i really started following it probably uh mid-20s mid-20s is really when i got into it because i was betting on it a lot and i got into fantasy football so that's when i really started paying attention but i was always watching the nfl i was a football player in high school so i was always interested in the nfl but uh, it's i would say it's one of my favorite things ever in life right now. I love Mm -hmm. the NFL and I absolutely hate the months of February through August when there's no NFL. So you're not going to watch the XFL? No, come on. (laughs) You know, that's the second time they tried that shit, right? (laughs) Yeah, it did did do too well. Well, actually, I saw saw an XFL game at Pac Bell Park. Okay. I think that was like 2014, maybe 2013, maybe. Vince McMahon doing all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. They, They tried this already. Like I... That's why I can't get into like arena football or Canadian football or NFL <laughs> Europe. Like it's just, it's not the NFL. So I just don't even bother with it. So as, as a Dallas Cowboy fans, how would you quote unquote fix the team? If you, if you were the GM, what would you do? And what are your thoughts about Jerry Jones in general? You know, Jerry Jones, I think the guy gets a hard rattle. Okay. You own a team that is worth a billion dollars, right? You're not going to be the most liked guy in Dallas. No. Okay. Just because, first of all, you own a team that's worth a billion dollars, right? <laughs> and then on top of that, he's a guy that wants to make all the decisions. He doesn't want to hire all these people and allow them to make decisions. I'm not sure I disagree with that because, well, it's his team, right? So if he knows what he's doing, who cares? My thing is they've been close. It's like when they had a good offense, 
it didn't seem like they had the defense the last, let's say, 20 years. And mm-hmm. when they had a good defense, it didn't, you know, then it was like Tony Romo, right? So it's like, right. Or now. Yeah. And now I like Dak Prescott. I think the guy can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have the team because there's a couple of great receivers. You got a great running back, you got a great um, quarterback. The offensive line is not as good as it once was. And the running backs are now in flux of who's going to be the go to guy, right? Right. But uh, the defense is outstanding. Right. So it's just, it's got to get put together, but dude, there's a lot of talent in the NFL. It's, it's not like the seventies, eighties and nineties where there's going to be just two or three teams that have Mm -hmm. all the talent there. You could say that if it wasn't for Tom Brady, could you name five other Patriots? Like, I'm not even sure I can. (laughs) Anymore. Yeah. They've, they've definitely changed. Well, I think the, uh, what Pete Rozelle, the original NFL commissioner always wanted was parody. He wanted every team to have a contention and it really, you can think. Eddie DeBartolo, the 49ers owner, for it because of signing Deion Sanders. The next year, they had the salary cap. Once the salary cap came, every team was on a level playing field, and that's pretty much what's happened the last 25, 30 years. And I would say there's more parity right now than there's ever been. Like if you're looking at Aaron Rodgers, and he may not be a top 10 quarterback right now, that's a lot of parity. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. So sports movies, quote-unquote sports movies, with, that don't really involve actual games. They instead show the business side and front office side of, of the game are tricky, like this movie. I think Moneyball, the baseball movie with Brad Pitt, sort of proved that behind-the-scene game films can not only be successful but really entertaining. Um, draft Day didn't do super well at the box office like, like Moneyball did, but do you think Draft Day pulls off the same sort of trick that Moneyball did, and why don't you think it was as successful at the box office like Moneyball? Yeah, I think part of it is... Um the actors don't exactly fit a sports film like this. I think that's why it didn't do well. Like Mm. there's nothing wrong with Jennifer Garner. There's nothing wrong with Kevin Costner. I think they do fine, but these, you know, they were coming off of superhero movies and that's what Jennifer's known for really. And, um, Mm. Kevin's done pretty much everything. Right. So, and he's had hit and misses his whole career. So these aren't exactly, you're not talking about Tom Cruise here. Right. And you're not talking about Angelina Jolie. So it's not like they can just do anything and it's going to work. I think it has to be um, a combination of behind the scenes and a game for Mm -hmm. it to really pull in the crowd. Now, you know, Moneyball had Brad Pitt. So, well, exactly. You know, that's going to win. That's just like having Angelina Jolie in the movie. Like, (laughs) okay, that's if you do any kind of this with Tom Cruise, it's a hit. Like those guys are going to make anything a hit. So I think they made it work though. So if you're, an NFL fan and you haven't seen this movie, it's actually a really good movie without any of the football. And it involves the NFL, which I absolutely love because I think that's what was missing in like any given Sunday. I hate watching like professional football movies. And it's like the, you know, the predators or some, you know, the, the Casios. Yeah. (laughs) Who the hell are these people? These made up names and yeah, Yeah. everything. They got full NFL support for this. I mean, they even filmed the, the actual, um, NFL draft. I mean, that's huge. That's absolutely huge. Um, obviously, you mentioned Kevin Costner. He's the master of sports movies. Um, you also mentioned Jennifer Garner. Now, I think the other key to this film is Dennis Leary's great as the coach. And then you kind of forget the secret weapon here is Chadwick Boseman. I think people even forget he was in this film, let alone a vital character. And he's great. Yeah. And I think, you know, this at this point, Chadwick is not exactly a huge name, right? Mm-hmm. So if this movie happens, what, four years later? All of a sudden, Chadwick is on the movie uh, poster list. Sure. Right? So that that kind of thing helps it where a Dennis Leary is not going to help sell the movie. So I'm not sure it's Costner and Garner's fault that the movie didn't take off. The problem is everybody else you have is not listed on the movie poster because they don't have a huge enough part or they weren't a big enough actor or actress. Sure, sure. Uh, one of the hardest things I think about being a sports general manager, manager or even a head coach is to simply ignore the press and radio talk shows and things like that. And you know, do you think you personally could handle that sort of like role as a job? Because I mean, you think about our regular jobs. Could you imagine having an audience always second guessing your every decision? I mean, it's one of the hardest jobs there is. So unfortunately, I have a job that somebody is second guessing my decision all the time because I time. see the thousand people every week. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're in, and they have 
plenty of ways to disagree with the decisions that are getting made. Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly getting that. So I can appreciate that it's at times you got to turn it off. Like I'll give you an example. We have this, you know, suggestion. I hate suggestion boxes. I hate everything <laughs> about it, right? We have that thing. I starting about five or six years ago, I don't read those things on Friday anymore right. because it used to ruin my weekend. <laughs> right. You got to read that stuff in the middle of the week where you can do something about it. Sure. Not Friday where you're dwelling on it all weekend. Yeah. So what happens is any type of job. And I think that's what part of the movie that, you know, how, when you watch it over and over and over, you find something new. Part of the movie that I realized when I watched it the other day was, man, it does not matter what job you have. All jobs have their own stresses, own mm-hmm. job. All jobs can be tough no matter what they are. Right. Right. Like somebody came to us and said, Hey, you want to be a general manager of an NFL team? I'll be like, hell yeah. (laughs) Right. That's a dream job. Right. That's gotta be the best job ever. But more likely, although the the reviews from NFL people said this movie was complete shit Mm -hmm. (laughs) that we're actually behind the scenes. It feels like this is what it would feel like behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think they're looking at, they're too close to it. I mean, as an average fan, you want to be entertained. They're probably saying, well, this would never happen. Like, especially the ending, we'll get into the ending. Um, but yeah, I think they're just looking at it as like, this isn't exactly true. It seemed pretty legitimate to me, like just the way that the ins and outs of that. Um, and, and in particular, I'm going to give you a specific scene. So when Sonny in the film, Kevin Costner's character is talking to the Browns quarterback who is rehabbing from an injury, he's not pleased to hear that they may be taking a quarterback with their pick. Now, as you, someone who manages people, is it difficult to keep a business relationship strictly business when you're actually working with a person that you like and it almost would be considered a friend? Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah, that's tough. And I've, I've had that situation happen several times and Mm -hmm. you just, you got to keep the two separate somehow. Yeah. It's like, and I, and I think he said it perfectly when he said, look, why don't you worry about you and stop worrying about Bo? Right. Right. You just worry about you and let me go do my job. And I thought it was, I mean, why would a general manager come down and possibly be talking to a second string quarterback after the second string quarterback trashed his office? He would right. send some other, he would send the head coach, hey, you better go fix that and have somebody come clean my office. Right? right. There was no way they would be touching each other that way. So obviously they had a relationship and, you know, then later we find out he had a hand in drafting them and that's why they have the relationship that they have. But it's business is business. And I've had to work with close friends before and I can keep it somewhat separate. I actually end up counting on that they will give me a break versus I'm going to give them a break. Right. I'm counting on. Right. I freak out on somebody that they're in the break room saying, hey, that isn't usually him. You caught him on a bad day. Right. Versus me yeah. treating them differently. Right. Right. And, and I also think there's a there's a tricky part as a general manager. Um, you, you saw the relationship between the head coach and they didn't like each other <laughs> at all. And so it's it's Costner's job to put the best team possible on the field. But that might not jive with the head coach. I mean, that's really a touchy, touchy relationship. Yeah, because I love that whole scene about you're paid to coach the team I give you, my call, right? right? So there was a couple of places where Dennis Leary's character and Kevin Costner's character were like sparring almost, right? For like mm-hmm. this power move. And then that whole uh, Dennis Leary's character goes to Jennifer Garner and tries to like take a different route. And then notice that he walked out with a mother when they were doing the right. whole thing with the urn and mm-hmm. he gets involved and kind of makes this weird call to the bills to make a trade behind the scenes. Like that's all real. I, I, I have to admit that has to all be real stuff. Cause that happens at my job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then also leaking it to the press. You yeah. hear players do it. I, I'm guaranteed general managers do it. And yeah, it's just, I have to assume a lot of this really, took place and maybe this general manager thought it was being sensationalized, but I found it entertaining. I think you did too. Yeah. And I thought they did a great job of, you didn't have to be a football nerd to -hmm. enjoy the movie. Right. So the fly out over home of Seattle Seahawks, like those were all things where if Nicole was watching with me, she wouldn't have to worry about what stadium is that? Like they're telling you, right. Right. So, Mm -hmm. but if you want to get the football nerd involved, then of course you start the movie with almost a narration from Chris Berman, right? It's a voice yeah. that you know. So you got kind of both sides. So that's why I'm surprised 
I guess they just didn't get a chance because there's no reason for this movie not to do well. No, I agree. I agree. Maybe they just need it, it needed to be on cable or it's one of those movies that people just didn't want to go to the box office for whatever reason. I'm trying to figure out. Let me do a quick search when this was actually released. It might have been around 2014, I think. Well, yeah. So I think it was 2015, maybe? but I want to see what month it was oh. actually. Yeah, you're right. So it was 2014 and it came out on April 7th. So it was right around draft time. I wonder if maybe they had done it during actual football season. If it may have been a bigger hit because it was still the off season for football. Yeah, that's true. Because, you know, I think if we asked a hundred football NFL fans, do you watch the draft? I think that hit rates, maybe 20%. You're right. Right. So, and if they're watching the real draft, why am I going to go watch a, a, a movie about the football draft? So, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. So maybe they kind of outthought themselves on that. They should have probably released it in the fall. Yeah. But what a great idea to like rope in, the Joe Montana story sure. open that, you know, there's been myths about, you know, Peyton Manning didn't have an arm and Elway threw too hard and just a great job of kind of keeping the NFL included into the movie, uh, just really well. And I, I'm glad it was done in Cleveland instead of Buffalo, to be honest, yeah. I guess they're going to try to do this movie in Buffalo. They were, and, and I could imagine it costs more. That makes sense. But yeah. It it put more things in connection with me because my brother my brother and I were both born in Cleveland. My brother is still a Browns fan. Well, hell, they use the name Sonny. It's about yeah. the NFL, <laughs> right? He's a manager of a team, so that that kind of connects. And I wanted to play in the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. So the whole thing connected better with me just because you know it's one of those things where it's if it's happening where you've been or uh, a place where you worked. It just brings a different connection to you. Right. And then also Cleveland has the history because it's not the original Cleveland Brown team that is currently the Cleveland Browns. As you know, they were our model sold them to or took them to Baltimore. Eventually, Baltimore became kind of a not a dynasty, but they became a very good team that won two Super Bowls. That would have been the Cleveland Browns. And it's just like ever since. I think Jim Brown, going back to the Jim Brown era, they haven't really had a winner. They came close in the 80s with Bernie Kosar. But really, it's it, actually, I think it was a better better move as it turned out, uh, like you said, even though Buffalo, the Buffalo Bills had a lot of heartbreak in the 90s with uh, Jim Kelly. Yeah, and, you know, there's these cities, and I'm sure if we really thought about it, we'd probably name about five to seven of them that just have Detroit. not had a winner in a long oh yeah Detroit have not yep. had a winner in a long time and even in Detroit the winner they had was the Pistons right so that's right if it wasn't for the Pistons it'd been even longer yeah the Pistons the uh maybe the Red Wings I don't yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's it, it's it's tough for them all right to kind of wrap up without giving away the ending were you surprised that like how everything transpired at the end like it, it, I wouldn't call it a twist but it was it was interesting how things wrapped up I wasn't surprised by the ending because if you've watched any NFL drafts, that kind of stuff happens and you see it. Sure. So obviously they had somebody that was helping produce saying, this is what happens. This is what happens. This is what happens. Mm -hmm. What I'm surprised about. And my only criticism of the movie is it when it, when it comes down to it, he got something out of it, but what he gave up was actually more than what he got. So he didn't win in the end. And, but is sold like he won, right. which is a little weird, but I only yeah, know that he didn't win at the end because I'm an NFL fan. I guess you wouldn't know that if you weren't an NFL fan. And I think the great part about it is the, there is no exact science about these guys. These, you know, we kind of said the the supposed can't misses hop and often they are misses. <laughs> and so for whatever reason, they just, they, they weren't necessarily sold on, on the quarterback for whatever reason. And this happens a lot in drafts. Look at Aaron Rodgers though. That was one where the 49ers absolutely should have taken Aaron Rodgers that Alex Smith, nothing against Alex Smith. And for whatever reason, I think it was the general manager really wanted Alex Smith. He was a sexier pick, but it kind of ruined the 49ers for years and it made the Packers. Yeah. And you could say the moral of this story is your first hunch is the right hunch. Mm-hmm. Is that the moral of the story? I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure either, because again, <laughs> like, I guess it just depends. You can't be 100% all the time. I'll give you a perfect example. I'm a 49er fan. Their upper draft picks, like their high draft picks, are terrible for the most part. Um, but they've been nailing, they've been knocking out of the park when it's like the third round and below. So it's almost like, you know what? Go trade all your top picks. I'm glad yeah. they traded all their top picks for McCaffrey, because at least he's a proven commodity and they've, they've proved they can't draft anyone in their top picks for the most part, except for Bosa. Um, but even then, you didn't no so yeah <laughs> it's just uh, some guys are better at the, when there's less pressure i guess and did you think it was weird i did because i did so there's a bunch of cameos obviously because well you got the nfl involved so you're going to have sure. nfl players and announcers and that kind of thing but of all the people that you could have had to play one of the fake players and all the real players you could have used that probably had acting degrees arian foster mm-hmm. really yeah, <laughs> I mean, he did fine, but I'm like, is that Arian Foster? Like, why is he an actor all of a sudden? Because he had a major part in this well, movie. I, I wonder if his agent or somebody had a connection with like the film industry. Because I would assume a lot of these agents have crossover appeal too. Ah, ah, because I mean, if that was the case, like if it was you wanted football players, then why use Chadwick? You could use Lawrence Taylor, I guess. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, back in the day when guys didn't make a lot of money playing ball, you saw a lot of actors that were football players like Jim Brown, Bernie Casey, Fred Williamson, Dick Butkus, Alex Karras. All those guys were NFL players that they ended up making more money in Hollywood. Yeah, definitely. I Like I said, it's a really good movie. I'm always interested in the whole love story and you know, Mm -hmm. Garner and Costner, they're 18 years apart. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it doesn't seem like that in the movie, which is a little weird. Um, well, that's the thing about Costner. He's, he's been aging gracefully without, you know, doing a lot of the plastic surgery. So I think that helps too. I'm going to find that brass knuckles phone holder. Dude, that thing is cool. Chadwick Boseman. And again, that it's such a shame he passed away because, and he'd been sick for a long time and nobody knew about it, but man, he was just, I think he had, he was on the verge of becoming the next Denzel. And that, you know, again, we're going to probably be talking about a movie with Denzel soon, but, um, yeah, that it's just a shame. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. He seemed like he was definitely on the upswing. I, I, the other thing I liked about this movie was there was some quips in here. Right. Like when mm-hmm. Jennifer Garner's in the closet and goes, that's not what's making you look like an asshole. Right. So right. <laughs> like there was little things just thrown in like the fire, sunny in the window, in the dirt, in the window, mm-hmm. like just little fun things, not to make this movie so serious. Yeah. And when he's like pumping gas and the woman's yelling at him, and he's yeah. trying to get on the phone and yeah, it's, it's totally like people are passionate about their sports. Yeah. But yeah, overall a great movie. Yes, yes. So Sonny recommends it. And of course, there the character's name is Sonny. It's a can't miss. Come on, guy. If you like football, I think you'll really enjoy this. I mean, it, again, it's not you're not going to get the uh, gameplay. But frankly, how many good football movie gameplay movies are there? There's not that much. So I, I think they actually do a better job just doing behind the scenes. Yeah. And then sometimes, you know, those things get really long and yes. you see the same huddle break and the same huddle together. So, you know, they huddled once and then took like three different shots. Like it's, yep. you lose interest after a while. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I didn't lose interest with this interview. So thanks again, Sonny. You're always great. Oh, always a good time. If you are ever in the San Francisco Bay Area and still love collecting or renting DVDs or VHS tapes, come check out Captain Video and San Mateo at 2837 South El Camino Real. Captain Video is open six days a week and closed on Wednesday, and one of the last traditional video stores still running in the United States. New movies you can rent for $2.99 a day. Old movies you can rent for $2.99 for five days. And if renting isn't your thing, you can also purchase anything you find in the store. Be sure to tell Ira that you heard about Captain Video from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. Happy renting and happy collecting at Captain Captain Video. Video. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.